So we're jumping in uh, this weekend. Our message is Christmas through the eyes of a child, uh, kind of staying with that theme. And of course, uh, gift giving is big for kids. They're all looking forward to what are they getting for Christmas. And I think that's kids of every age. We kind of look forward to what we're getting. And gift giving is a big part in celebration of the gift that was given to us. Uh, Joyce and I, in addition to family, we'd like to give gifts to some of our neighbors. So about six of our neighbors we gave gifts to this year. And uh, my wife is a planner. How many planners are out there? All right. Um, and so I, I plan-ish, but I also have the motto, if it weren't for the last minute, think of all the things that wouldn't get done. Okay. And so anyways, we bought our neighbor's gifts at Thanksgiving. And Joyce had them beautifully packaged like a day or two later. And then it was my job to deliver them. And knowing that we have a full week of activities at our house this week, starting on Monday, it's like, okay, I want those gifts out this coming weekend, this past weekend. So yesterday, before I came to work, around 1130, I, I delivered all the packages. Uh, and I told Joyce, well, they're all delivered. And she said, well, Christmas is a week from today. I was kind of hoping for an attaboy, okay? Instead, I got this little reminder. And I laughed, and I said, you know, I'm not sure you would have hit it off well as Mrs. Claus, because here is this guy who has to deliver packages to the entire world. He waits till the night before Christmas. So Santa Claus is my kind of last-minute guy. So anyways, uh, but through the eyes of a child, we had our board breakfast, monthly breakfast this, uh, this Tuesday, and Luke Dull was talking about their little daughter, Elsie. Uh, she's three and a half and adorable and about yay big, and if I'm close to her at church, I might get a hug for Pastor Stan. And he said they came in last weekend after dark uh, for one of the programs. And at the Y, you know, there's some, there's some lights there. It's not anything super fantastic. It's pretty. And, and she, he said, she just took a big sigh. And she said, oh, my church looks so beautiful. Yeah, so sweet, you know, through the eyes of a child. And that, and that very feeling you had right there, ah, oh, all right. I want you to realize that that is meant to be within us. They were really never, when did you lose the eyes of a child? We kind of grow up, and if we're not careful, we can, we can lose that perspective, that view. And I want to kind of reawaken that in us this weekend, if I can. And so let's, let's jump into a biblical perspective, first of all, to realize that children matter to God. In Psalm 127, verse 3, it says, Children are a gift of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. In a culture where uh, children can be discarded before they're born, uh, or the other end of the continuum, we try to make them the center of a universe, and, 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 and instead of failing to really help them see their purpose, children matter, and they're valuable, and they're loved, and they're a gift from God. When it comes to children, God intends to teach you, as a grown-up, in that child relationship. Among other things, the tender love of a mother and child is a, is a model of God's love. When you go to the prophet Isaiah, God was speaking about the people of Israel, and he said in chapter 66, verse 12, you'll be nursed and you'll be carried on the hip and fondled on the knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you'll be comforted in Jerusalem. There is no love like a mother's love or a father's love, a father's touch. You'll notice when I handed the little one off how quickly she quieted down. There is that comfort between a parent and a child. And, and God says, that's, that's how I want you to see my comfort that I have for you in times of need. A father's instruction and, and correction uh, are a picture of God's desire to grow and to shape and to nurture you. 
in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. And the Bible speaks to us of just the, the goodness of that kind of instruction. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? And uh, my dad's name was John, and he was John Harold Tharp Jr. And uh, I learned, I love my dad, but I also learned not to do what he said don't do. I didn't always abide by that, and when I broke those rules and I went against his guidance, I often paid the price. It wasn't, real, wasn't a lot of times, but often enough that I got a spanking or I got some kind of discipline meted out to me, and I learned right from wrong. I learned that there are consequences to my behavior, uh, and, and God is drawing a parallel at several places throughout Scripture that God disciplines his children. How many of us are children? I should ask this first. How many of us are children of God? then you know what? If he loves you, he'll discipline you at times. And I remember when I was thinking about that once and just kind of reflecting on that part of God's word and just asking the question, I wonder how many times in my life in the past I prayed for God to stop a situation, to get me out of a situation, to break this whatever, and I even tossed in the name of Jesus and it didn't happen because God's up in heaven going, no, 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 you got it all wrong. I'm actually spanking you with this. This is a timeout. This is me trying to get your attention to help teach you and to grow you and to shape you. But it's always from a motive of love and what's best for us. No surprise then. I mean, and yet when you think about it, so put yourself in God's perspective centuries ago, and you realize that the world is not as you created it. You intended for the world to be a place where you created mankind to be in relationship with you. He's a relational God, and he wants an unhindered relationship with those he created. He wanted you to live in perfect harmony with yourself, with him, with others, and with the environment. That was his intention. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2. All you did was say, okay, there are some guidelines. I want you to honor me and obey me. And so there's one priority that don't do that, but live in freedom with the rest of it. And sure enough, when you created mankind, shortly thereafter, bang, they sinned against you. They did exactly what you said not to. So there are disciplinary consequences to it. And you realize that because of their disobedience, they ruined creation. Through Adam and Eve's sin, sin entered the world, sin entered creation, and things that were not part of God's idea, death entered, suffering entered, heartache, injustice, all those things became part of the world because of what mankind did. And you realize that they are now in sin, they're lost in their sin, and they will spend eternity separated from you unless you do something to save them. I don't know what plan you'd come up to to save the universe, to save mankind. I don't know what knight in shining armor or what great king you would send down there to go ahead and fix things. But what's amazing is that the next point, the unfolding of God's plan to save the world began with a child, more specifically with a baby. In that same prophet Isaiah in, in uh, chapter 7, he said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, 
and she will call his name Emmanuel. We're reminded of that in the Christmas story. The angels say, you're going to call his name Emmanuel. His name is Jesus, but his name means God with us, God near to us. Because God realized what, what men and women, boys and girls, what humans need, they need me with them. I can't undo all the evil on the planet, but I can help them through it until someday they're in a new heaven and a new earth that is free of evil and pain for forever. But I'll be with them. And that idea of, of God with us, Emmanuel, there is an inseparableness of God from us once we choose to follow him that's echoed throughout Scripture. Romans chapter 8 asks the rhetorical question, who can separate us? What can separate us from the love of God? Death and life, angels, principalities, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, nothing can separate us from the love of God because he's God with us. He's Emmanuel. I was reminded of that yesterday when I was delivering gifts to our neighbors. In fact, I realize I'm seeing a pattern here from just a moment ago and now. Um, I went to our new neighbor's home, and uh, they've only been there a few months, and uh, they have a little baby girl uh, who has uh, some serious health issues. And so the family has a nurse that comes over every day, uh, daytime hours. And uh, so I went to the door and gave them the gifts and talked a little bit, and they invited me in. And so I got to, to see their little daughter. I think the second time I saw her. And so I came in, I was talking to her, and, and she was in, they still call them pumpkin seats? Yes, no? You know, little plastic things you hold with a handle. So she's in that. The pumpkins? Okay, thank you. Uh, it's been a while. I don't think changed, okay? But those, those things that are lifesavers, right? You put the child in there. So she's sitting in there, and she, she has a trach and whatnot, so it's pretty serious. And, and, and so I'm talking to her, and I'm, I got her to smile for a minute. I'm feeling so good. And then all of a sudden, I'm talking to mom, and then I look, and the baby's crying at me. I'm like... So, and, but in an instant, okay, mom is on, the, she's already on the floor. She is on the floor, and she is there right with that baby trying to comfort, can't pick her up, she's trying to comfort her, leaning over that pumpkin seat and just quieting her down. Like a mother comforts her child, I'll comfort you. This baby is born, and we're going to call him Emmanuel, God with you. She was right there. In fact, I look at the living room where our former neighbors had, 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 uh, couches and living room furniture, there's a bed. It's not made. And one of them sleeps in it every night to be with her. And it's no wonder then that God uses that analogy that that's who I am to you. And so see Christmas through the eyes of a child. I'm Emmanuel. I'm God with you. And Jesus, in his own ministry, holds up a child as an example of our approach to God. You want to come to God? You want to follow him? Do you want to, do you want to know Christ? It's not from some big grown-up theological understanding and perspective. In Mark chapter 10, verse 13, it says they were bringing children to him so he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. He's too busy for kids. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He got aggravated. And he said to them, permit the children to come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Whoa, that's sobering words. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them and laying his hands on them. We need to become childlike. Childlike is not childish. But to come to Christ and experience Christmas, the coming of Christ to earth, to your earth, to your world, through the eyes of a child, 
And so what does that look like? Well, there's a, an encounter Jesus has with the child in the Gospels. Actually, it's kind of indirect, but there's a lot we can learn. We don't even know who this child is, but he has given us an example that has stood the test of 2,000 years. Hopefully, we'll, we'll meet him when we get to heaven because he, he did something pretty amazing. Jesus is now 30-something years old. He's in his earthly ministry. He has spent the entire day teaching all right, a huge crowd. And in those days, they would gauge a crowd by how many they would count the men and then speculate women and children. There were like 5,000 men in this crowd, plus women and children. You're talking probably 20,000 people. And if you've been to Israel, you can picture him kind of on one of those big hillsides, and he's down there with the water at his back at the sea. And there's all these people, and he's teaching all day. And they're just having all these aha moments when they're listening to him, and they realize the power and authority he has. And wow, it's like he's talking right to me. And at the end of the day, Jesus then, pulls a surprise to his disciples because when you follow Jesus, you never really know what's next. Can I get an amen to that? He goes, hey, guys, I got an idea. Well, Lord, we were ready to wrap this seminar up. He goes, let's feed them dinner. That wasn't in the ticket. <laughs> dinner? I mean, his disciples, and they start to gripe and complain. Well, it would cost a small fortune to feed them dinner, and there's nowhere to buy dinner. Have you looked? There's no Chick-fil-A around here, okay? I mean, what, what are we supposed to do? And, and the disciples are scrambling and looking around. And in John chapter 6, verse 9, here's what one of the disciples says. Oh, Lord, there is a lad here. There's this boy, this child. He has five barley loaves. Think like rolls at Panera Bread. Five barley loaves and two fish. <laughs> but what are these for so many people? There's five little buns, two fillet of fish. Go figure. And you know what happens. Jesus prays, adds his blessing to it, and then he just starts breaking bread and fish. And he literally fed 15,000, 20,000 people, and they collected 12 baskets of leftovers afterwards. And I'm sure he probably sent one basket home with that little boy Say, tell mom thanks for lunch. <laughs> but think about that little boy. And when Jesus said you have to become like a child, for some reason this little boy, there are lots of things he hadn't learned yet he hadn't learned that, well, nothing I could offer Jesus would do any good. He hadn't learned to limit who he was or what he had. When did you learn that lesson? He hadn't learned God isn't enough. He hadn't learned that, that God's not very creative and, and God is limited in, in, in what he thinks and how he sees a situation he hadn't learned that God can't possibly exceed my doubts. And isn't that really what this story is trying to get at? Here's an impossible situation. And how many of us grown-ups are facing impossible situations in our lives, in our relationships, our careers, our health, our homes, our marriages, our families, our circumstances, our finances, whatever it is, impossible, and we look at it and we run through the, the, the possible solutions that we can come up with. We come up with nothing, so we're like, oh well, defeat, despair, depression, all the D words. But this little boy saw this impossible situation and he saw Jesus. And he saw, well, I got my lunch. I have very little to give, but if I give it to Jesus, let's see what he can do. 
Somewhere as we grow up and we get older, we lose that. Took phenomenal trust. He didn't, even, he didn't even see it as trust. He didn't say, I'm going to trust Jesus to do something amazing with my bread and my fish. He didn't even, he didn't even pat himself on the back and say, no, it's just, he just trusted Jesus. He heard somebody say, Jesus wants to feed the crowd, and the thought came to him, well, he could have my lunch. He took a deep breath and looked at the crowd and said, the crowd looks so beautiful and hungry. Here, Jesus. I would encourage you to look at your Christmas season through the eyes of a child. It's a possibility. There's a possibility you can't even think of. There's opportunity. Certainly there is care and compassion. There is Christ with you right now, right here. But for some reason, as we get older, we get great at learning how to stress and strain and we lose the ability to trust and smile and even play and enjoy. And uh, as I was prepping for this message, you know, I thought, you know, I think I'm going to kind of give myself a bit of a primer and, and I'm going to go way back in my history and look up some issues about developmental psychology how we develop through the years. So I, I, I have in my office, in my credenza, all my academic files, and that's a bunch. I went back to my master's degree in pastoral counseling and psychology 40 years ago. I won't even ask how many of you aren't 40 years old yet because I don't want to depress myself too much. <laughs> it was the fall of 1981. And so I looked up developmental psychology, Dr. Richard Dobbins. Uh, he's a phenomenal uh, insight in theology and psychology both, and a mentor of both me and Joyce, and I just love the man. He's in heaven now. So I pulled that folder out, and I opened it up, and I, as, as soon as I opened it, I had this incredible insight, like, whoa, I noticed. And, and the, just the first page of my notes. And later that day, I had a meeting with the weekend team, and Dirk leads that team, and we've been working together for 20 years plus. And so I, I walked in the meeting, I go, Dirk, I was just looking up notes from 40 years ago from developmental psychology, and I put it down for I go, what do you notice about that? He goes, I can read them. <laughs> <laughs> I literally flipped through, did I write this? And I looked, because I could read every word. My handwriting has broken over 40 years. It is so bad. No kidding. It is so bad. My own wife can't read some of my writing, okay? The staff can't read my writing. My administrative assistant sometimes has the gift of interpretation. There are times when I've written something old enough, long enough ago that I'm digging back out, there are times I'll go to San Diego, can you read what I wrote there? It's that bad, all right? So I had this aha moment. Wow, look how things have changed. But uh, Eric Erickson is one of my favorite developmental theorists. And uh, he divides life in, and it's just a theory. He divides life into eight stages. And he, I think he's, there's something added to it in the last 40 years. But it, it's different phases we go through, different challenges. Uh, the first one, for instance, is trust versus mistrust. And he theorizes that our ability to trust, and right now, and I won't ask for a show of hands, but are you a trusting person or not, Okay. Erickson would say that for the most part, those seeds were planted when you were the first 18 months of life, 18 months or younger. And the question that an infant is asking, even though they're not, they're not verbal, is, can I trust the people around me? 
So depending on how life was then, was it full of chaos and distraction, or were your caregivers able to attend to you so that when you were hungry, you could trust that they would feed you? When you needed to be changed, you would trust that they would do that. When you were crying and, and restless, you could trust that they would comfort you, they would nap you, they would get you up, whatever. That, that, that's planted in those very early stages as a child, as an infant of trust. Other things that are meant to be accomplished and planted in our lives from birth to 11 uh, is a sense of trust, a sense of hope. And man, who is more hopeful than a child? When you tell a child, we're going someplace, right? As soon as you get in the car or the van or the whatever, and we're on our way, what do they want to know? Are we? Yeah, because I'm full of hope and excitement because you said, and we're going, so we're going. Likewise, in the life of a child, there's meant to be a sense of purpose. I think of what God said that's supposed to resonate to us from Ephesians. We are are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you know a little child, here's a great experiment, like around three years of age. I dare you to kind of have a conversation with them and say, do you know what? What? Jesus loves you. And Jesus has something special he wants to do through you. I will buy you lunch if that child goes, no, he isn't. No, he won't. He can't do that. He might do it with other people, other kids, but not me. No, that's something you learn later. As a child, a child goes, I wonder what it'll be. His plan is so beautiful for me. There's a sense of trust. There's a sense of hope. There's a sense of love and purpose. And there's a sense of competence. So that what was placed in us as a child resonates with us when I read later in my life that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, I believe I can. It's not me, but it's me and Jesus. All of us know that that's not all we got when we were little. That journey from birth to the end of elementary school, other things enter. Not just trust, but mistrust. Suspicion or defensiveness. There can be a sense of shame or guilt. Doubt is a huge companion of ours that we pick up somewhere in childhood. A sense of inferiority, especially in the later years of childhood, or feeling self-conscious or inadequate. All those things stir in there, too, because we know it's a battle between those desired outcomes and those undesirables and how often we carry those with us as well. And if we're not careful, those will become the dominant influences on our internal well-being and how I see the world, how I see me, how I see God and the one who saved me and what he really must think about me and how I see his word and how believable and doable it is or it isn't. And I had someone reminded me from the message last night. You know, Jesus said in his conversation with a grown-up, you must be born again. If it's possible for us to be born again, I believe it's possible for us to become as a child And if there are things you say, no, you know, Lord, as I come to you as a child, 
as I, as I revisit that in me and in my life, can you plant more seeds of trust? Because I'm missing some. Can you, can you grow a sense of hope? Can you help me believe in a sense of purpose? Can you give me a sense of competence? Can you help me to, to rely more on your comfort and your kindness and your goodness to me? Because somewhere as a child in that journey, I kind of fell the wrong way and carried that with me. And I believe Christmas is a, is a great time where we're going to have a, a, an illustration here that basically says, take me back to my childhood. The artist in the song says, eight years old. But you're still the hope of Christmas. And he still wants us to come to him as a child. And so as you watch this beautiful artistic rendition of this song and this reminder uh, to see Christmas through the eyes of a child, I would encourage you to, to make this time just a time of prayer and reflection and asking God to minister to you deep within this Christmas. dead in row with the candle flicker in one hand and dad's hand in the other take me back to silent night my heart was full and the world was right cause right now the world feels nothing like those innocent Decembers these days peace on earth is hard to find and I need you to remind me You're still the hope of Christmas You're still the light when the world looks dark You're still the hope of Christmas You're still the hope of my Find healing's touch, where hatreds fight, be one with love. 
And may every heart make room for you The one who came to save us Cause you're still the hope of Christmas You're still the light when the world looks dark You're still the hope of Christmas You're still the hope of my took me back to eight years old my daddy's hand in a story told about heaven's love and a manger low and a promise that's still true you're still the hope of christmas you're still the light when the world looks dark you're still the hope of christmas you're still the hope of my heart. You're still the hope of Christmas. You're still the light when the world is dark. You're still the hope of Christmas. You're still the hope of just have a word of prayer if you bow with me before I lead us in prayer I invite you to do that what are you feeling some of you long for a touch to go back and not to be born again but touch those areas that I kind of grew out of as a grown up restore to me the eyes and the heart and the joy and wonderment and innocence of a child. If you need greater trust, ask him for it. Peace, why would he not give you that? Lord, help me to be a more hopeful person, a more loving person, a more optimistic, faith-filled person. Ask him and thank him. If you haven't asked Christ as your Lord and Savior, just in your own way, Surrender your life to Him. Jesus said you have to be born again and tell Him you want Him to be your Lord and Savior. He'll certainly say yes. Lord, thank you for still moments. We can just sit in the beauty of the Christmas season and be amazed that God unfolded his plan to save the world. He started with a baby in a manger. 
Lord, you call us to come to you like a child, and I will admit at times I don't know how. It's been decades, and it's been more than a half a century for me since I've been a child. And we look back and we see what was or what we remember what was and how we interpret what was and we see where we are now. And so we just collectively surrender ourselves into your hands. And we say, Lord, Father who loves us, shape us, restore, guide, renew, refresh, whatever that is. And put a fresh, just a fresh sense of anticipation of childlikeness in us for you. For those that are here today and, and ask you to be their Lord and Savior, let them come to know you as such. As they ask for forgiveness of sins, let them know that they're forgiven. As they surrender their life to you, put their life in your hands, let them know that you say yes. And so, Lord, we thank you for all the blessings that surround us in our lives. We pray that you would bless us and empower us to be a blessing to others, not just this week at Christmas, but all year long. And I pray a blessing on each person who's here today and on each home and family that this would be an amazing Christmas. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If you accepted Christ today or want someone to pray with you about that, stop by the VIP room. Otherwise, your section leaders are here if they can pray in any way with you. We'll see you Christmas Eve at, at 1, 2, 4, or 6. God bless you. Thanks so much.